as we begin uh, a new series this morning. 1 Peter, and we're going to take up the reading at verse 3. If you are with somebody and have a Bible, you may want to share as we uh, read God's Word together. Under this uh, heading in verse 3, praise to God for a living hope. And that's the theme, of course, running through the service. Apart from one song this morning, everyone had this word of hope uh, woven through it as we've been uh, worshipping together. So we begin at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And this very special verse that in this context comes to us. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, our generation, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And as we prepare our minds for action, we'll pray together. Let's do that. Lord, we thank you for the potency of your holy word. And as we hear it read and as we think about it, we ask today that it might come to us with clarity, with freshness, with relevance, so that whatever our prevailing circumstances here today and the legitimate concerns and anxieties that many of us have. We want to open our hearts to you and afresh open our lives to you 
So as we quietly think now, Lord, you have given us a mind to know you. So this day may we know your truth and enjoy its liberating power. You have given us a will to obey you. So today would you lead us in fruitful service. And you have given us a living hope. So today may we come to you with fresh confidence as you speak to us in your word. For the glory of your name. Amen. This is our new series and uh, hopefully it will prove to be uh, very uh, helpful to us as we think about our journey through life and indeed as we engage in our home groups. The late Jock McTavish, his family went to the local newspaper in Glasgow to insert his obituary and the office girl was somewhat surprised to read the solitary words on the form which the family had given Josh McTavish has died now it may be being Scottish and she says to the family look you can have seven words for the same price. So the family went away and thought again. They came back to the newspaper and now the eulogy read, Jock McTavish has died, Volvo for sale. <laughs> what will people say about you when you depart this life? And to what extent will there be a reflection of this living hope? This living hope. That's what we are going to pursue together this morning. And uh, whatever else will happen today, you'll be leaving this place with hope ringing in your ears. Hope, of course, in the context of the world in which we live, the world many of the, the G8 world leaders have met this past week. Church prophets are making incredible pronouncements. Will the church survive the secular onslaught, the unrelenting pressure that questions everything and anything that is spiritual? The environmentalists have concerned about the ecology. And all these crying, foreboding messages come to us. The prospect of famine, a nuclear holocaust, global conflicts. Just think today, we are here and in relative comfort. I know the chairs are not that comfortable, but just think, four million displaced people as a consequence of Syria. Two million, many women, little children, refugees. We put that into the context of our lives and we have a sense that we need fresh perspective. And the economic crisis, so-called. The inconvenience that we're not earning as much as we would like. Into that comes the presence of this living hope. 
living hope, which you have there in verse 3. It says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 3. The living hope is the big issue. You meet people, don't you, certainly in Oxford and not so much in Aylesbury, where people come up to you and they just cry out, the big issue, the big issue. And they're all a pound to buy. Well, the big issue here for us this morning, for sure, and indeed is this theme of a living hope. Hope, when you think about it, is the air that we breathe. It's the sort of atmosphere or the climate in which we live, where we work, where we relate, where we pray, where we worship, where we live, and ultimately, where we die. I said to Peter I would quote uh, him when uh, his father, Sir Frederick Warner, had died, and uh, as he was the executor, he opened a file, and it was sealed with these words, in sure and certain hope. Wouldn't it be good when we think about our lives, however old or young we are, we said, you know, I would like this to be said. I would like that to be sung. I would like this. We should make a file, should we? Sealed with the confidence that in Jesus Christ, wherever we are, at whatever age, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just turn for a moment to uh, this great resurrection passage uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Just have a look at this for a moment. Think about this. This living hope through the resurrection. And look at these remarkable words. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, Paul says, I declare to you a mystery. Verse 51, We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet sound. The dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying has come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And as if Paul throws out the gauntlet to life, and the ravages of time, and old age, and illness, and disease. Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? So on. And the application, well, there's always a therefore, isn't there? Verse 58. Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. All you give yourself to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not for nothing. So let's be honest as best we can with ourselves as much as we can. Sometimes, as believers, we give expression to a rather forlorn hope. A forlorn hope. Just turn to, we'll use a couple of cross-references and then focus entirely on uh, our reading. Luke 24. It's a, it's a very wonderful passage about true believers having had a living encounter with Jesus Christ and yet unintentionally, almost inadvertently, giving expression to a very forlorn hope. You know the story. 
And it's a, it's, perhaps this is a very effective way of evangelism, actually. The two are on the road to Emmaus. They're discouraged. They're talking about issues that you have there in verse 17. And Jesus comes along and draws them out a bit. Their faces are downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor and do not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, Jesus asks. Isn't that a lovely thing? Tell me. Tell me your story. That's what we need to do with people. Tell me where you're at. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And here's the forlorn hope. I have this highlighted in my Bible for this reason. And we had hoped, we had hoped, in the context of serving and following Jesus, but now our hope has withered on the vine. You can read the rest for yourself. It's a very forlorn hope. It's rather pathetic, quite pitiful, really. And if anybody met with them and said, if that's your faith, I've got enough problems of my own. And Jesus says, how slow of heart you are not to believe all that the prophets have said and so forth. This pitiful, fragile hope is, is summed up, I guess, in these words that they would have used, and the words that often we use, I hear people say it, I say it from time to time. You're talking to somebody and certain events have overtaken you, surprised you, the suddenness of ill health or all sorts of issues that come to us. And you say, if only, if only, and you could finish the sentence, you could finish the sentence for yourself today. I suppose if you looked at the list, you would say, well, if only I had more money. Did you know that Rockefeller said that when he was the wealthiest man in America? We'll never have enough. If only I could bet, have better grades. If you compare yourself to one or two folks, somebody this morning, I won't embarrass him, at nine A stars. What, what's that like? If only I had better grades. If only I had a nicer home. If only I hadn't made that bad investment. If only she would stay married to me. If only my child was able to walk. If only I'd say no to drugs. If only somebody would just give me a break. If I hadn't had that accident. If only... If only we could just get back on our feet. If only my folks hadn't divorced. If only I had more friends. And of course the list is endless. They're not wrong in and of themselves. But you just can't stay there. Because if you do, it leads to the dead end street of self-pity that is a reflection of your life. Like the two on the road to me. They're not bad people. But they say, if only. If only. And into that comes this whole idea of hope. That's the word we're using, hope. Think for a moment of the, of the Apostle Paul as he summed up in that beautiful hymn which is used, interestingly, both in funerals and weddings from 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love and so on and so forth. 
And then you'll remember, it comes to a great climax where Paul says, So, now these three remain. Here they are. Faith, hope, and love. And Paul says, yes, and the greatest. The greatest is love. Okay. Let's think about these three for a moment. Love. What do we mean? Well, love describes this sort of Christ-like relationship that should be, and often is here, a true reflection among fellow believers who know Jesus personally. This sort of what's called the agape love, the stretching love. Faith describes the confidence that we have in our Saviour as we know that he has forgiven us and we don't deserve it. And hope? Hope is the certainty, describes the certainty of our present and our future relationship in Jesus Christ. Now, what's the application? Okay. The application is this. Love's the greatest. We can't contradict the Apostle Paul. And you might say, faith. Faith is the strongest. Fair enough. Love is the greatest. Faith the strongest. But for us in our society, and very much so today, hope is the rarest. Hope is the rare commodity. We're not comparing and elevating one over against another, but where we're at, what a rare thing it is for people to have and enjoy a living hope, a confidence born outside of themselves and their circumstances. For sure, hope is the rarest. Think about it. Without hope, a marriage will dissolve. With fresh hope, it can be healed. Think of it. Without hope, a church dies. And many have. And with a fresh injection of hope, a church is resurrected to a new beginning. Hope is the rarest. Without hope, a company fails. And with a different perspective and a different mindset, a company can be turned around and be profitable again. Without hope, the addict returns to his or her habit. Why not? Without hope, the student drops out of studies. The athlete gives up training. But with hope, this rare thing that is the gift of God among his people, that's the turning point. Without, let me ask you to think about this. Think independently of me. Please, please. Without a living hope, as it is in verse 3, faith is in danger of becoming narrow and introspective. Merely an opinion that people have. And without this living hope, love can be compromised and become superficial. Do you remember the example of Peter, the apostle, when he denied Jesus? The reason I would say for his denial, apart from the human factor and fear and cowardice and all those things, and peer pressure and all we mean by that, 
would be that somehow his hope had gone. Jesus is going to be betrayed and crucified. What's that about? To a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah coming in pomp and glory. This isn't on the script. And his hope dies. And how does Jesus renew his hope? By asking him about his love. Do you love me more than these? More than these? And so on. And now, this same Peter is writing to us about that same hope. There's a great proverb. I've used it a lot and I found it helpful to myself. And I put it to you like this for your memory. And you remember it for this. It's the baker's dozen. Baker's dozen is 13. You go for a dozen and you have a baker's dozen, they give you one extra. 13.12. Proverbs 13.12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And you see it juxtaposed. Despair, a sick heart, or a tree of life. Hope is the pivotal point. Of course it is. When you think about where we are for a moment, let's apply it to ourselves as a church. Let's apply it corporately. What, what we could call hope is crucial for us now to get beyond what we call the halfway stage. The halfway stage. Chances are that most of us are fairly good starters and oftentimes poor finishers. You'll know of accounts of great symphonies that are unfinished because the artist, the musician, dies. But nine times out of ten, the main reason why jobs are left unfinished is because not the person dies, his hope dies and his commitment diminishes. Within the church, let's concentrate on ours. No good preaching about people out there, is it? It's where we're at. Within the church, people can lose heart, and some of you have. Enthusiasm can wane, and for some of you, it has gone. Actually, some of you never had any for it to go. And life becomes a series of unfinished tasks. People whose lives are a sad tale of untapped potential because of the absence of hope. You know, the Shakespearean classic Julius Caesar, he reveals a timely challenge. Apply it spiritually if you're willing. There is a time in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. Omitted, however, all the voyages of their lives is bound in shallows and miseries. There is a momentum and hope can help us when we think about where we're at. Hope. A living hope. It finds its roots in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of his church. So, let's give two conclusions as we think about this passage. First of all, verses 3 to 7 from Peter is the certainty of our hope. Just put a little bit of content to this. Verses 3 to 7. To be sure of this, the final chapter of our lives is heaven itself. 
We are pilgrims and we are journeying. And don't forget, when the scriptures speak about heaven, it doesn't describe, it illustrates. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, heart hasn't conceived what God prepares for those who love him. God willing, that's our destiny. But you know, hope, like love, is a visible and tangible thing. Now think about it like this. Has anybody ever said to you something like this? Um, somebody said to me this just a, a few weeks ago. Uh, I wish I had your faith. Do you know what I would really like them to say to me? I would like them to say to me, do you know what? I wish I had your hope. That's what I'd like them to say. Turn to... Uh, 1 Peter 3. And just look at this. And here's a challenge to us personally. 1 Peter 3. Come up in front of you. And verse 15. This is what Peter's advocating here. Yes, of course, let's share our faith. Let's go do the stream on faith and so on. Yes, let's do that. Hold on a moment. What do you make of verse 15? In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, always prepared to give an answer to everyone, here it is, look, who asks you. Don't have to work yourself up and say, I've got to share my faith today. Hold on a moment. Hope seems here to eclipse faith in this sense. Tell me, give me a reason for the hope that is within you. Why? Because they see that, they sense that, they know that you have a living hope. Faith? You have faith in God, I've got faith in this. Okay, we'll agree to disagree. How can they do it when you talk about a living hope? That is the big challenge, isn't it? Hope, like love, is visible and tangible. Well, we had a lovely holiday this year on the narrow boat. And you start to follow various people. And uh, we ob I observed this uh, family three young children from the age of 14 to 7. Two boys and a little girl. And a father. And I thought, interesting, no mother. So in the course of time we get talking and he says to me, you know, five years ago, my wife was, and then he says, Naomi, names his wife, was diagnosed with breast cancer and within months she was dead. Nothing they could do, no treatment, couldn't get chemo, radio, nothing. It was such a vigorous, aggressive cancer. And here he is, five years with these three little children. And what is he doing? He's telling his story. And we all have a story. All of us. Dark times, difficult times, blessed times, joyful times. Tell your story so the people have a sense of a living hope. A living hope. That is a very powerful verse for us. Give me the reason that you have for the hope. God-willing people will ask us that in school, at work, in our families, among our friends. Not, I wish I had your faith. I would like to know your hope, your living hope. The certainty of our hope. This year we had the joy of going to Wimbledon, Centre Court, Murray, and, uh, what's her name? Robson, Laura. Saw both of them. It was a Gorgeous day. We were there all day. Do you know what? The center court, there were two seats reserved for Hannah and I. 
Penman Hill or Murray Mound was heaving with people. But we had two reserved seats just for that day. You just think that in Jesus Christ, you have a reserved place in heaven. And it's yours. And you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you see what it says here. You have, verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or said, kept in heaven for you. It's yours. It's a gift of God's grace. You could never earn it. It's yours. And nothing can devalue that. No one can destroy it. Look at verse 6 again. In this you greatly rejoice, though, let's be honest, now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It doesn't diminish your hope. Not pretending that, you know, keep your fingers crossed and touching wood and everything will be all right. No, no. It's a certain hope. No disease. And some of us here know a great deal about that. No disappointment. Not even death itself. A certainty of our hope and finally the centrality of our hope. You see, something's right at the centre. No, someone whom we know. And what a wonderful verse this is. Uh, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. There are differences, as this passage goes on to talk about the coming of the Lord, the prophets inquiring, angels bewildered, of course. But what Peter says is this, this hope is rooted in Jesus Christ who will come again. He will come again. What Haggai, looking at the rebuilding of the temple from the restoration of the people, saw beyond a mere building being renovated and rebuilt. And he spoke of the desire of the nations. This is a bigger canvas than a building being refurbished. Fix your eyes on a bigger picture. Do you see it? That's the point of this hope. And in the context of 1 Peter, what a surprise. And it's this. The subtext is suffering. I know that sits lightly on our generation where we do anything to enjoy our creature comforts. I know I do. However, here it is. Fifteen times in this little letter, suffering is referred to. You see it, you have. The suffering is not a denial of hope. Indeed, it's the shaping of it, the growing of our faith, the deepening of our love. Peter is not peddling cheap grace. We have a living Savior with us in our struggles, with our suffering, along our difficulties. So let's conclude. Hope. I confess to saying from verse 8, I have not seen Jesus the way that I see you and you see me. I want to say and echo the words of Peter in verse 8, I have not seen him, or he'd seen him in the flesh. He's talking to the first apostolic generation who haven't. I haven't seen him, but I love him. 
I love him. And maybe when we talk about our faith, that we should get more personal. Tell people, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I've not heard him the way that you and I, the way that you are listening to me now, the way we speak to each other. But I believe in him. I have not touched him the way that Thomas, the doubting disciple thereafter, unless I see, unless I put my fingers in the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. I have not seen that. But I trust him. And so I'm called not to explain, which is rather tiresome oftentimes, until somebody more clever and more persuasive comes along. But I encounter the living Jesus who gives me a living faith. And so I can trust in him with all my heart. And I don't need to lean on my own understanding and in all my ways acknowledge him. In a bewildering world of dead-end experiences and inexplicable events, he will make my path straight. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have a living hope. And by God's grace, whatever happened, like Martin's father so surprisingly should die so suddenly, to live in hope, die in hope, and wake up into the presence of a living God. As we come to the Lord's table, we're going to sing, and I think either the group are going to, uh, or the piano, going to lead us as we think about Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side, bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. And the verse 2, be still my soul, your God will undertake your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake, all now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still my soul in this living hope. We'll stand and sing as we come round the Lord's table. <laughs>